Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, we have a second billionaire who made it to space this week, and the jokes pretty much wrote themselves if you happen to catch a glimpse of Bezos' spaceship. Back here on planet Earth, the rest of us, with at least dozens of dollars in our bank accounts, are looking at more practical travel plans as COVID numbers remain relatively low for now. Whether you're tuning in beachside, poolside, or couchside today, I've got a great show lined up for you. My first guest, Heather Chauvin, is a leadership coach who helps ambitious, overwhelmed women conquer their fears and become leaders at work and home. She is the host of the Mom is in Control podcast, where she reveals her most vulnerable truths about womanhood, marriage, parenting, living through stage four cancer, and running a successful business without burning out. She has also authored a new book called Dying to Be a Good Mother and joins me to discuss. RBC's She's the Boss this week is taking a look at a new travel brand marketed to women only. With COVID-19 restrictions lifting around the globe, the pent-up demand for travel is growing daily, and women travelers in particular have become a major phenomenon over the last few years, with travel companies dedicated to women-only clientele increasing by 230%. Ya Barago from FemBnB shares how she and her partner Diana Obeng are disrupting the travel market. And Brody has loads of entertainment this week, including Beans, a heart-tugging drama about a little girl caught up in a vicious cycle of racism and struggle that is sadly all too true. Ava DuVernay's Peabody award-winning arts and social impact collective Array releases a powerful film called Cousins from New Zealand, and royal watchers won't want to miss The Wedding of the Century on BritBox with footage from Charles and Diana's wedding upgraded to 4K. If you found yourself drinking more than usual during the pandemic, you're not alone. You're also not alone if you are thinking about giving drinking up. It's time for discussions around alcohol use disorder and addiction to be normalized. Lindsay Sutherland-Bowl is the founder of She Walks Canada, the national movement to engage both the sober and sober curious communities of women in and seeking recovery from alcohol use disorder, and joins me to share details on how you can get involved. Finally, Anne Brody is back for a second time this week with an interview with Mississauga's own Matra E. Ramakrishnan from Netflix's Never Have I Ever from Mindy Kaling. Her star is on the rise and Anne can't say enough good things about this young lady. It's another full week at what she said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Something to remember so they won't forget was Motherhood does not equal martyrdom, and yet many of us desperately try to live up to a glorified version of being a mom, much to the detriment of our own physical, emotional, and spiritual health. 
Heather Chauvin is a leadership coach who helps ambitious, overwhelmed women conquer their fears and become leaders at work and home. She is the host of the Mom is in Control podcast, where she reveals her most vulnerable truths about womanhood, marriage, parenting, living through stage four cancer, and running a successful business without burning out. She released her first book, Dying to Be a Good Mother, this year, and joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Heather. Thank you so much, Candice. This is, I love this topic. I'm excited. Oh, I am too. Honestly, I have been following you for a little bit now and your message, uh, sometimes you say things and it hits me right in the core and I think, oh, guilty, Candace, guilty, because I do these things too. Um, and, you know, at being a mom, I stress myself out about things that I really shouldn't be. So let's talk mm-hmm. about um, why putting our needs first is not selfish. I think a lot of women think it is. This whole conversation, I think we're in a time now where we're actually unlearning. And the reason why our go-to is to feel, you know, like we're putting ourselves on the back burner at the bottom of the list is because that's what we were taught. That's what our mothers did, our grandmothers and, and so on. And a lot of times they did it out of survival. And now we're living in a time where we have more choice. We have more, um, quote unquote, freedoms to be able to choose But in our subconscious mind, we are still programmed as women to act a certain way, to be a certain way. And so if you don't understand how to kind of master your brain and master your mind, you're not going to be able to um, know how to kind of get out of your own way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. How do we push back on the pressure that, you know, other moms, society, our parents, our children, our spouses that they put, may put on us external pressure to be that mm-hmm. perfect mother. Well, anyone I talk to who has had um, a huge contrasting moment. So for me that there were many periods in my mothering that did that, but one, a big one was stage four cancer seven years ago. Before that, you know, even just coming into motherhood, I was 18 years old and I felt like I was failing um, because I did things backwards. And so there's so many bumps along the road where you have these moments of like, not this, not this, not this. So step one, I think you have to get done with the pressure and expectation that one, you're putting on yourself two that other people are putting on you. And it's actually incredibly empowering when you can say, I'm done, I'm done with this. Um, So when we're dealing with that pushback, it's always going to be there. It's going to be there, whether you're going with the flow and you're just becoming this people pleaser, or you say, no, that's not how I want to live my life. But just because you have a, you know, a certain hat on or a label or a title or you play a certain role doesn't mean you need to fall into this trap of what everyone else is telling you who you need to be. And the pushback is actually really intriguing to me because I see this every single day in my personal life, but also with the clients that I work with, I keep asking them and myself, how do you want to feel? How do you want to feel like over and over and over and over again? And they know, right? We know what we want and desire. Sometimes we just haven't been giving ourselves permission to do so, but then you have to have the courage to step into that. And when you see yourself taking action from that 
people pleaser or that old story or mentality, you get to stop and choose again. It's not this perfect plan that you put in place and you execute. It's a daily practice. One of the things you say is that you aren't supposed to know everything to hire help. And this this one really hit me because I think I labored under the illusion that I was supposed to just know everything when my children were born, that it was supposed to become instinctually to me on everything from changing diapers to, uh, you know, getting through the teen years. And the reality is it just didn't. Um, and so admitting that, though, that was the struggle, admitting that I didn't know everything. I think asking for help is difficult for a lot of people because there's a lot of pride and ego behind it. But there's also this underlying belief that if we ask for help, we have failed in some capacity. And for women who are nurturers and raising humans, it's, to be honest, I think our deeply rooted fear of failing is so ingrained in us that we're like, if I can't figure this out. Like these are my children. If I can't figure this out, I have failed as a woman. And I think if we believe that we have failed as a woman, then there's like this shame that comes over us. And then we play small and we start to shrink and go down this rabbit hole. And for me, whether it's parenting or my health or business, I had to unlearn that belief and really start asking asking for help and asking for support. And even as somebody who supports people around parenting and relationships and living in alignment, like I have a lot of support around me and I'm constantly saying, how good can it get in my life? What do I need to improve on? And who has mastered that or who's doing it a little bit better than me? Um, and how can, how can they support me as well? So it's a different mindset of seeking support and investing in yourself versus, you know, I got to do it all. I got to put everything on my plate um, and make this really difficult. My, I see the lens through how can I co-create with somebody else to really support me to getting the optimal um, results that I want? Because the better I feel, everyone wins. And that in itself is a whole paradigm shift. How do you think mothers, I mean, I know comparison is something we struggle with, right? You see another mom, she seems to be nailing it, right? She's got everything right. Her kids are doing great. And then you feel like a failure. So do you address that in your book, that sort of uh, comparison we're constantly doing with other mothers? Yeah. So, I mean, there's something I talk about in the book called dying to be a good mother syndrome, which is this, um, exhaustion, you know, wearing exhaustion as a badge of honor, like culturally how we do that. But I think when we are comparing ourselves to other people, whether they're exhausted or not, or our perception of whether they are, we see how much they're doing. And then we say, oh, I need to do that too. That was actually a big part of my journey when I started seeking mentorship or looking outside of myself for for those women that I looked up to. I didn't know what success looked like. I didn't know what it meant to feel good. And now being on the other side of that, but also seeing behind the scenes of a lot of people's lives. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, I can definitely still get into comparison and catch myself and move out of it rather quickly, but a lot of it is an illusion. Like I will have conversations with people that on the outside, everyone is, is being like, Oh, they're, you know, they're the pinnacle of success. They figured it out. Their shit's together. And then behind the scenes of that person's lives, they're like, Heather, I'm falling apart. I have so much anxiety. My marriage is this. And it, not everybody needs to 
you know, be wildly open and vulnerable and share their truth because I do believe in privacy. But I think, you know, the stories that we're telling ourselves that we're projecting onto somebody else, that is false. It's not truth. And when we really ask ourselves, why is that person doing what they do? How come that happened the way that it did? We can become critical thinkers and you can get out of this comparison. So a lot of what I teach is about emotional freedom, but it's also like unhooking ourselves from the stories that we tell ourselves of who we need to be right down to, I need to do everything for everybody versus um, is this the life that I want to be living? And then teaching women how to step in to that. But comparison is just, it's, you know, it's an automatic if you don't know how to control your mind. And I think coming out of this pandemic, women have been really in the trenches with motherhood more than usual. So they're going to need as much advice and help uh, along the way as we come out of this. I want people to be able to connect with you. So where can they find your book? Where can they listen to your podcast and find you on social? Yeah, so I'm really active on the podcast. It's called Mom is in Control. The book Dying to Be a Good Mother is sold anywhere books can be found online. Um, and it's also on Audibles if you are um, an audiobook listener. And just check me out. Well, Instagram at Heather Chauvin and my website, heatherchauvin.com. Wonderful. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. COVID-19 restrictions lifting around the globe, the pent-up demand for travel is growing daily. Women travelers in particular have become a major phenomenon over the past few years, with travel companies dedicated to women-only clientele increasing by 230%. My next guest for RBC's She's the Boss this week is poised to take that market by storm with Femme B&B. Ya Barago and her partner Diana Obeng know the pain points women face when traveling alone and are on a mission to alleviate travel anxieties through curated services on their platform and to reshape the women's travel experience and connect women through travel. Welcome to the show, Ya. Thank you so much, Candice, for having me. This, I saw this concept and almost whooped. Uh, in my in my office, I was so excited to see it because travel is a passion of mine. And as a woman who often travels alone, this is huge. How did you come to this um, this concept or this idea? Thank you so much for that question. So um, the concept actually started from my own personal experience that I had gone through when I traveled solo to Rome um, in 2017. And unfortunately, I, I was sexually harassed in front of my Airbnb apartment. 
when I voiced out my concern to my host, he was very nonchalant and really did not care. And his response was, this happens all the time, nothing will happen to you. I was quite shocked um, at his response. And I remember coming back to Toronto and having conversations with several people. And of course, it went on to have, I, ha I went on to have conversations with a lot of more women to find out that, wow, this is an issue that actually exists. And I really needed to create a solution that would resolve this and at least alleviate any safety issues that women do have when they travel by themselves. So that is how FemBNB was created through my personal experience that I had. So how are you ensuring that the experience then with FemBNB is different than using another platform um, that you, would, you might use? We understand that there is, you know, competitors out there that are catering to, you know, the short-term rental services or vacation rental services. But with my background in tech and also my passion in travel, I really wanted to make sure that we're not only providing the spaces, but we're also providing a community that will support women. So within our platform, we're developing um, a, a space called Her Community, where women are able to connect with other women, as well as engage in other activities to really enhance the travel experience and really support your travel endeavors. So before women travels to any place or while they're there, they're able to connect with other women and really ensure that their 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 service their the experience is enriched overall. So do you have things like you know um, that that women offer? You know they they must. I'm assuming that women must list their house uh, for rent on your uh, site. Uh, do they offer other things in terms of safety or comfort that maybe others might not provide? Yes, certainly. I mean, we know that if there is safety, um, we are addressing safety. Comfort also comes along with it. So we are enhancing the safety um, right, by putting in other measures, at the same time ensuring that other hosts are also providing the comfort and peace of mind. So we're really um, curating these spaces by ensuring that these women are you know, phenomenal hosts. We do have training as well, um, workshops to really help women that are new at hosting to show them what to do and how to really host the guests and really make sure that they're comfortable. So we're putting all these things in place. And even like when you talk about services, we are also allowing women to um, provide other services that will not only help them economically, but at the same time, really ensure that other women are enjoying those services that they're providing. So overall, really enhancing that experience and providing safe spaces and a peace of mind and comfort for women when they travel. Okay. So when did you start FemBNB then? So the idea was actually formulated or birthed in 2017, but we just recently launched our first product in January 2021. Um, we launched with over 600 women, and so far it has really, you know, blown our mind with as to how far we've gone um, with little market, marketing budget. And um, we've signed up almost close to 5,000 women from 60 different countries so far. So it is quite phenomenal in, in the span of a few months we've been able to do so far. So what's next then for FemBNB? Um, what's next for FemBNB is really building that community because we are really strong in that community um, aspect of it, really building that community and really ensuring that it is there to support women. And we do have an AI travel assistance to help women also travel and make um, provide them any information when they do travel or before they travel. And so that would be our, that's actually a release that's coming in the next few months to really um, enhance that experience as well, the AI travel assistance that we're currently developing. 
I really do adore this. You've built a great, a great full circle product where the, the customer benefits, the person who's renting at their home benefits, and you're creating the friendships, I'm sure, along the way uh, between women all around the world. Uh, wonderfully empowering business you've started. Uh, I want people to be able to find you. So where can they do that? They can find us at fembnb.com. So it's F-E-M-M-E-B-N-B.com. And also shows our FemBNB. So anywhere on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Facebook, it is FemBNB. So you can find us everywhere. Okay, wonderful. So thank you to Yaa Barago from FemBNB for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business. in for a treat this week and Brody is joining us not only once but twice first we're going to review all the new movies out this week and second she's back later on with an exclusive interview with the star of never have I ever on Netflix but for now Anne, what do you got for us in entertainment this week holy cow what what a lineup it's a roller coaster let's start with beans um I've never had so many hits on a story as my interview online now, never in all these years. Uh, It's a story of a young girl who is actually representing the filmmaker, Tracy Deer. The young actor is Gia Quandio and she is out of this world great. It's a story of Tracy Deer's memories and experience of being Mohawk and living in Oka during the time of the crisis. So it's it's autobiographical to a degree, although she doesn't really stress that. What an amazing film. This little girl lives on the reservation with her mother and sister, and she has a, a real innocence about her. Um, happy, well-adjusted, and, you know, just, and she's been accepted into this univ- uh, academy in Montreal that's really prestigious and she's been waiting and waiting so she finally got in the trip back from Montreal where she did her final interview uh, they get stuck and surrounded by military police and protesters on a bridge in Oka and it's her loss of innocence she hears nothing but racist insults she doesn't understand why there's they're disrespecting them um, they go to their local store. When they get home, the store won't serve them because they're, they're First Nations. It, it's appalling. And this little girl, you watch her emotional journey as, as she un- begins to understand a little bit of, of what's happening. This is an incredibly timely movie, I might add, and something I think should almost be required viewing for people because I remember Oka when it first happened. And, yes. uh, you know, my, my, feelings on Oka then and now are quite different. And <sighs> so, too. right. And so yes. I think this movie is so important because it is that other side of the story that non-Indigenous Canadians really need to watch and learn from. Uh, it's not the only Indigenous movie out there though, right? You have another yeah, one. another great one from Australia under Ava DuVernay's uh, label. It's called Cousins 
And it's about three Indigenous girls who were snatched from their families in, Aus in New Zealand and thrust into these uh, Catholic residential schools and the horrors that they experienced and how it changed them. And the three of them come out. They live separately. Uh, it's many years down the road. One's homeless, right out of her mind. Another one stood up against the system and became a lawyer in an inspirational way. And the other one is a landkeeper. So we get these two casts, the young cast and the older cast. Um, it's such a beautiful story of how they come to grips with what happened to them. And again, draws our attention to the, to the fact of residential schools in Canada, US, uh, New Zealand and Australia. Again, uh, uh, the worst side of it, for sure. Uh, let's and move on. What else do you Our have? next one is about settlers, interestingly enough. Uh, it's set on Mars. And it was made by uh, filmmaker Wyatt Rockefeller, who I've just interviewed and will be posting that shortly. So we meet a young family played by John Lee Miller and uh, Sophia Bartello and Brooklyn Prince, who was in the Florida Project years ago. She plays their little girl. Um, so they live alone. They have a farm. They raise pigs. Somehow the air problem's been solved, but they create their own water and they have a, a sustainable life there. Um, it's lonely. So the father built a little sentient robot for the little girl to play with and who becomes her protector. Well, one day they come into their living room and someone has written leave in pig's blood on the window. So the tone completely changes. Once again, this loss of innocence, but there's much more to be learned as we go along. Two soldiers show up, the parents kill them. A man shows up and the woman's alone now and, and she dies and the little girl is left with this fellow. Honestly, it's kind of breathtaking. Um, and it looks so authentic. It was shot in South Africa, looks like Mars. Just amazing. So that's that's well worth catching. Okay. Well, we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, very, very quickly, what else can't we miss this week? I'm excited because they've got a brand new, uh, well-cut, high-tech rendition of the royal wedding to commemorate the 40 years ago that they were married, uh, that Charles and Diana were married at Westminster Abbey. Only one company was known to have shot film of the wedding, and that's the only footage that really survived in any healthy way, and it's easy to render into 4K. So we get everything in just extreme detail, and, uh, you know, it was a happy, happy day. Things didn't turn out so great, but it was a happy, happy day. It was. I, it was. It's lovely. All right. So for all of these and more and where to find it, them, uh, they can go to what she said, talk.com. And you're going to be back later in the show uh, with an interview. So thanks for joining me today, Anne. All right. Talk later. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
According to a new report from the Canadian Vital Statistics Death Database, overdose deaths and alcohol-related fatalities increased amongst Canadians under 65 during the COVID-19 pandemic due to extended lockdowns and isolation. It is time for discussions around alcohol use disorder and addiction to be normalized. Lindsay Sutherland-Bowl is the founder of She Walks Canada, the national movement to engage both the sober and sober curious communities of women in and seeking recovery from alcohol use disorder. She is the curator coach helping women across North America excavate, reimagine, and realize their biggest, wildest, craziest dreams. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. As I, I mentioned to you just before we started this interview that I am now 200 days without a drink myself, and I'm not sure if it's because I'm just noticing it more because it's, it's a path I'm on, or if more and more women are actually um, giving up alcohol. What are your feelings on that? Yeah, I totally agree with you because I'm also having the same experience. I think uh, a lot of women are choosing to question their drinking habits, not because they've necessarily hit rock bottom, but because they've hit rock enough, enough of not feeling good, enough of underperforming in every aspect of our lives. Uh, we've had enough and it's time to do something about it. it. It is the creep of alcohol, right? It slowly starts to take over your life in ways that you just, at first you don't really notice it. And it's those low grade hangovers, or like you say, losing a day to just not feeling so great and not, not being able to perform at your best, whether that's as your mother or in your job or ever, however, whatever your role is in life. Correct. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's, it's a common theme that, that I hear over and over again is that there's a sense of underperforming. There's a sense of weight that we feel that creeps up, as you're saying, you know, this kind the more we drink, you know, there's a weight and it's not helpful. I mean, how do you go about your day being positive and buoyant and productive and all these things when there's weight that's nagging every day? How did you come to um, begin She Walks Canada then? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, so I uh, made the powerful decision to stop drinking January 24th, 2020. So just before the pandemic hit. And in an effort to prioritize my physical and mental health, um, what the, a big part of my recovery was walking. Another big part of my recovery was building community of other sober women to help me understand this totally new world that I knew nothing about right and so and so when I started walking I could walk two kilometers per day um, but the longer I was sober the longer I could walk the bigger my community of sober women grew and so by the time I reached my one year of sobriety I lost 30 pounds figured out that I actually am an athlete on the inside. Um, I was walking 10 kilometers a day. My social circle had exploded with really powerful, purposeful women, some in recovery, some not. Um, but uh, to celebrate my one year anniversary, which people do, um, most people you get a unicorn cake, have a party, all that kind of thing. But I didn't want to eat calories, you know, because I just, you know, that no longer interested me. So I thought I'm going to go for a big walk. So how can I make 365 days meaningful? And so I said, I'm going to go on a 36 and a half K walk. This is great. And the markers of that walk were to the front doors of all the women who powerfully and purposefully stood up and supported me in that year of recovery. And it was absolutely the best day of my life. And so after that, I started thinking how I, I just felt 
as though this was a new purpose for my life. And uh, as I continue to walk every day, I realized that um, I need to talk about this publicly, which I hadn't done before. I need to talk about my journey and invite other women to join me. And so I thought, instead of doing 36 and a half K, why don't we just walk across Canada and bring every single woman who wants to join me along for the ride. That's wonderful. In the beginning days of giving up drinking, so were you uh, hesitant to speak openly about it? I mean, I, I was excited. I felt empowered inside that I had made this choice, yet I had this, this shame attached to publicly discussing not drinking anymore. It's a weird disconnect. Yeah, it's awful. And I totally get what you're talking about. I didn't speak publicly about it until I was 11 months sober. I didn't tell anybody that I was on this journey until 11 days in, and that was my husband. So there was a whole lot of shame around it. Um, but what I quickly learned is when I started to talk about it in my recovery group, so with, I was comfortable talking in that group, she recovers, I was comfortable there. Um, the more I talked about it, the less stigma I associated with it. So I think the key for, for me at least, and for a lot of women whose recovery I've witnessed, talk about it. Shame doesn't live where conversation does. And there are hurdles that will come up, you know, for women who are sober, sober, curious, there are hurdles that are going to come up that are going to remind you of when, you know, I just uh, had a social get, get together with a group of friends. And, you know, I was typically the one who would have been right in there drinking. And this time it was, a, you know, again, it's that new normal for me in a social setting. Um, so it is nice to know that there's somebody that you can talk to about that reality because you know not everybody's on the same path and you don't want to make your friends feel obviously bad that they're having a drink around you absolutely right you totally hit it on the head um i would say probably five or six times a week i have a conversation with a woman i've never met before who's reached out to me uh, to say i've got a drinking problem i don't know what to do can you help me and every single one of them says some version of exact same questions and those questions are how do you go out on a Friday night with your girlfriends and not have a drink? How do you celebrate the milestones of our lives? Graduation, New Year's, birthdays. How do you do that without a drink? How do you go on vacation with your husband and reconnect without having a drink? And so my response to that, and, and everybody says they feel stupid asking those questions. But the thing is, those are not stupid questions. Those questions are really is my husband still going to love me? Are my friends still going to be my friends? Or am I going to be sitting at home on a Friday night, you know, knitting an Afghan by myself, drinking water? Like, you know. And so the answer to those questions is yes. Yes. Um, you can do all of these things. And yeah, there's going to be have to have to be a period of adjustment there. But but it is amazing how dramatically more fulfilling my life is without alcohol. You say that it, this is not a question of willpower. What is it? What is it that drives this for people to succeed in giving up drinking? It's community. Because the thing is, it's it's not like this is okay. alcohol addiction or or disorder is not a moral issue. It's a brain issue. And so what we need to do is figure out for each woman, because every woman is different, every addiction is different, every dependency is different, whatever you want to call it, it's different. Everybody needs something slightly different. So we need to figure out what that different is, fill that need, and then we can move on with our lives. 
And this isn't a question of, you know, you're a bad person because you've developed maybe an addiction or you're questioning your relationship with alcohol. It's just it, like you say, we have to let that go and, and look at it a little bit with some distance between it to, to actually let it go. Uh, so tell me about your journey to She Walks then and how this is building up because it, the walk is happening January 24th, 2022. Mm. Tell me about the women who are signed up and ready to join you now. Right. And so the actual walk launches in November and that's when our platform launches. We wanted to launch closer to the walk date, but you know, we appreciate that there's probably not going to be a whole lot of women who want to stop drinking for Christmas. Right. And when we're probably allowed to go back out into the world, you know, so chances are that's not a great time. So what we're doing is launching in November to start the walk in January. And so in November, everybody will be able to, uh, participate, log in, register, uh, get involved with the calls and things like that. Um, but people are welcome to contact me now uh, to see how they want to participate because I certainly have a lot of women who are interested in getting involved in the community, supporting the initiative, that kind of thing. Exactly. And January does sort of seem, it does seem a bit of a catch-all, isn't it? It's the resolutions, it's people are sick of the holidays and sick of drinking uh, dry January. So you're going to catch all those people who would like to participate in those join you on She Walks. I think so too. And also by that point, uh, COVID will, I think, have settled quite a bit. Um, and also kids will be back in school, you know, and then it won't be the, the rush to get things back to normal. And it also happens to be my sober date. But I, I think it's a really, a really great time to start something new. And it's not a solution. It's, it's a lifestyle. Obviously, I want people to be able to connect with you before November to learn mm -hmm. more, follow mm -hmm. along with what you're doing. So where can they do that? Yeah, so I can be reached at lindsaysutherlandbowl.com. Um, you can reach me on email, lindsay at lindsaysutherlandbowl.com. Um, a lot of people connect with me, th me through LinkedIn, Lindsay Sutherland Bowl. Uh, right now, you can go to shewalkscanada.com where there's information about what, we're, what the plan is. Um, and you can find more information about the GoFundMe uh, we have set up to raise money for our platform uh, that will eventually house She Walks Canada. So to find She Walks Canada, go there to find me, lindsaysutherlandbowl.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. I will rise a thousand times again. And we'll rise up. I like the ways we'll rise up. With all the years gone by, you didn't know me. But I knew you, I could see. Joining us now for a second time this week with an exclusive interview with Mississauga's own Matra E. Ramakrishnan from Netflix's Never Have I Ever is Anne Brody. Hi, my my tray. Hi. Oh my I'm god, your hair's gorgeous. Oh my god, thank you. Uh not done by me. Glam team. Glam oh, team. Wow, I want one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought that you had your camera on and like whenever someone else puts it on, even if it's audio only, I put mine yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, well, I like to see your expression. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, and whenever it's audio only and it's camera on, I can actually look at you and not like the camera up here. <laughs> you know, I love it. I like that. That's terrific. Thank you. Um, you know, this show really is set apart from most shows or media uh, set in the world of, of young people. 
you know, your character's not dark, she's not insecure, she's not uh, like floating aimlessly. I love that she knows who she is, she speaks her mind, she has ideas, and she is able to make things happen. Yeah. Uh, I love that. So, you know, that is rather unique these days. When you read the script and you knew it was Mindy's character, Mindy's life, basically, um, did did you also bring your own stuff to it? Did you, Or did you stick by your observations of Mindy? So, I mean, like, I mean, I, I don't know if uh, Davey won't be floating in the air in, you know, other random episodes that maybe are yet to come. Hey, like, we could turn into a sci-fi. You, you never know. Just putting that out there. I don't know. I'm open to those ideas. But when it comes to it being based off of Mindy's life, I remember with the tweet, the tweet did say that it is based off of her, you know, childhood, her high school days. And I remember reading that and thinking, okay, cool. I don't know, Mindy. I don't know what she was like in high school. Like, I don't know her like as a friend back then and be like, oh, I know exactly how she was like, I'll go do this. It was just like, okay, that's cool. But, but you had access to her. No, I'm when I was just auditioning, like okay. originally, because the original tweet already contained that information that it's about her, you know, young life. Yeah. So yeah. I already knew about that, but this sentiment goes on, of course, while we were filming the first episode, second, third, fourth. But before I had access to her and I was just auditioning, my thought process was okay, I don't know her. I know what it's like to be a teen, though. And here are the lines. Let me understand this character, what I think this person is to be, and also bring a little bit of myself, because I know what it's like to be a teen, right? Yeah. A little a little good mix. While filming the first episode, that's when, like, while filming, that's when I got to actually talk to Mindy, and I got to start, you know, learning and hearing her stories of growing up, which was really cool and so awesome to hear. But, you know, you bring a little bit of yourself while also understanding, like, okay, cool. Like, this is how you grew up. Cool. That's great. It's nice that you that you mix the two. It's yeah. it's necessity. So I don't see how you could have done it any other way. So, good. You've answered my question. Um, you know, she's a very good person, too, um, in terms of being a, a daughter, a friend, a student, you know, a teenager. Did you, did you feel... Yeah. Well, I mean, she has her ragers and things, yeah. but that's okay. Did you feel a responsibility to uh, to an audience or to yourself? I mean, definitely, of course, a responsibility to like, A, do a good job, you know, not be a terrible actress. You know, we don't want to ruin the show here, right? But also just the responsibility of representation for sure. But when it comes to Davy being a good person, she is a good person. She's trying to be a good person, but she's also like a really messy person that messes up a lot and makes really huge mistakes and does hurt people, which is unfortunate. She's trying to be better, but that's what, that's the thing. That's why we love her because she's still trying. You love, you hate that you love her, you know? <laughs> I, I love that. That's good. But absolutely. She's just human like the rest yeah. of her. 
And especially at that time of her life, when everything yes. is, is shifting. She's 15. The past is going, this weird new future is spreading out ahead of her, maybe moving back to India. Yeah. The world's just on fire right now, and she's doing her yeah. best to, to duck, you know. The world is definitely on fire, for sure. Yeah. And she manages to have two boyfriends. What I found really interesting, and I love that storyline, and she does, but uh, Anissi Nash, who plays your shrink, she says, and a truer thing couldn't be said. You don't have two boyfriends. You have zero boyfriends yep. because, you have, because you have two boyfriends. Yeah. Wow. By those standards, you have zero. Yeah. yeah. I remember reading that line and I was like, damn, Dr. Ryan, like, damn. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. We're back with the second part of Anne Brody's interview with Matrai Ramakrishnan from Netflix's Never Have I Ever. Please! I think at the end of that scene, I think we cut that scene short because it was just more impactful to end on her line and just David's reaction. But I think I actually had a line after that was like, damn, Doc, I just meant to drop off some C's. That's, that was actually the line. But, yeah. Okay. I think that is an example. That is a great example of perfect TV writing and editing now that you yes. see it. And editing. Yeah. Off the bottom. We're getting the yeah, start. For sure. Um, you know, her mother is kind of, you know, emotional, I guess you'd say, or, or she's going through her. She's going through her own situation. Like just as much as yeah. baby is starting to confront her grief. So was Nalini, right? At the beach in the end of season one, that was the first time she admitted that she's not doing great. She's not okay. She's upset. She's going through it and she's confused and she's scared. So she's definitely got her own baggage for sure. And your character, Davy, is wise enough at her young age to know she needs support and to be understood, even though she's threatening to move her back to India. I, I love mean, that. Davy, yeah, that at the beginning, Davy definitely does understand that, you know, her relationship with her mom is finally like bearable and she doesn't want to mess that up, as John McEnroe says. So she's like, OK, cool. I'm going to do this for my mom. All right, whatever. But Davy still does become a brat with Nalini. I love the party scenes. To me, that was really like. Oh my God, I love the party. The party oh, was so much fun. Oh, I bet. Not so much fun. What a great bunch you work with, honestly. Right? Yeah. And then they've got you, and look at you. You're so lively and full of spunk and vitality. What a nice mix. Wow. I think Mindy, Mindy definitely has a good representative in you in this. Oh, Chucks. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever had a Sri Lankan frenemy? Um, I don't know if like a, you know, Sri Lankan frenemy or like a Tamil frenemy. I don't think I've directly had a frenemy in the sense of like, oh, like in general, like of any background. I think it's just, you know, I don't, I've had people I don't like and I'm like, <laughs> oh, tell me more. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 hear me out, hear me out, no, 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 hear me out. I, I'm of the firm belief that sometimes we just don't have to be friends with everyone. Yeah. No, we just don't have to be, right? But then in Davy's case, Davy's sort of lashing out at this girl for some 
other reasons, you know, like some reasons that are absolutely bonkers and are unnecessary, but we've been there. Like everyone has had those, you know, jealous moments. Have we all been jealous? Yeah. And it's a gross feeling, Mm -hmm. but we're human. And yet again, that's the reason why people like Davey, she calls out the emotions that we all do feel in our life. And, 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 and yet she's a class act. She's not like a, I think, no, no, I think you're a little biased. I think I think you're a little you're a little biased to Davy. I think I might be. I think you're. I think you can do a little bit too sweet than she is. I truly, you're probably the person that's spoken the most highly of Davy's. I love her. I love her. She's my favorite new character on TV. But guess what? I gotta go. Thank you so much, and congratulations for all the honors you've had. Oh, thank you. Much appreciated. Stay safe. All right. You too. All right. Bye bye. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.